1: The paranormal, UFOs,
2: monsters,
1: mysteries, you're listening to Talking Weird. And now, from a cabin deep in the Northwoods, your host, Dr. Dean
3: Bertram. Mm. Well, greetings to all my fellow weirdos and weirdettes. Welcome to Talking Weird on the Untold Radio Network. I'm your host, Dean Bertram, and I'm delighted that you're joining me, whether live on Saturday night and watching the live stream or listening later on your podcast platform of choice. I'll get right into it tonight. I'm Really excited. I've got one of my best friends in the world joining me. He's a longtime fan of history, both the kind they teach in school and the history they want kept hidden. He lives in a 115-year-old haunted house in Racine, Wisconsin with his wife, Barb, four Alaskan malamutes, and a cat that controls his life. He's the producer of the film Milwaukee Mafia, Frank Balistrero, and he's also the co-author of, Seth, co-author of several books, including UFO cults, Watch the Sky. So I'm delighted to welcome back to Talking Weird to chat about the recent Mexican mummy mummified alien story, as well as other strange dead alien stories throughout history, my very good friend, the one and only Mr. Wayne Klingman.
2: Oh, how are you guys doing tonight?
3: It's great to have you here, mate.
2: Great to be here, sir. It's a pleasure and honor. Thank you so much.
3: You're being beaten by storms down in Racine, though, you were telling me.
2: We are indeed, but it rains. We
3: we, we need the water badly, so we'll take it. Better rain than snow. I don't have to shovel it. Well, that won't be too long till we'll both be shoveling, both of us being in Wisconsin and all. I'm going to feel bad if your computer blows up because you were going to use your phone, and I'm like, plug your computer back in. It will be better. And you're like, well, if the lightning takes me out. Okay. I have faith. Well, what what a strange week. So we had just a couple months ago the UFO congressional hearings here, which I talked about at some length, both on Talking Weird and Mysterious Library as well as a few other shows I guested on. And now, not to be one-upped, the Mexican government decided to do their own UFO congressional hearings. And while it wasn't only about dead alien bodies, that's certainly what became front and centre of the various news agencies around the world. The the revelation by Jamie Mawson, who's a relatively well-known UFO personality and journalist in Mexico, of these supposedly mummified, non-human remains from Peru. What can I say? I
2: mean, you, you think that the government of Mexico would take this stuff really seriously and look into what's going on versus being surprised.
3: Well, yeah. the funny, the, na- the narrative is by people like Mawson that it's going to be the Mexican government who first recognized this stuff. But when they... Without being offensive, when the evidence which is presented front and centre looks like two crummy paper mache like little dummies that don't, <laughs> that don't resemble anything you'd think of ever has ever actually lived and walked around, unless maybe a ten year old made us. It's pretty difficult to take it seriously. And, of course, already various news services, like I noticed the the AP were talking about it and Wired were talking about it and The Guardian were talking about it and mentioning a couple of things. One, of course, Mawson had presented these Peruvian dummies or other, I should say, Peruvian non-human mummies, right, because that's what he's terming them, had presented something similar back in 2017, which people are suggesting is probably the same thing people who have examined it are suggesting that inside it's just a combination of weird animal bones because they've got x-ray photos as well and other things. And outside it's just essentially a paper mache material holding it all together.
2: Yeah.
3: And I mean, literally I've made, I've made dead aliens for a Roswell party. I held in 1997 when I was in college for the 50th anniversary and my brother and I and my girlfriend at the time all made paper mache gray extraterrestrials and i'll tell you what i would have been less embarrassed rolling them out for congress than i would have been rolling these things out I mean, is this a circus i mean to me
2: you muted yourself by the way um to me it should be taken seriously again the question becomes to me is you think the Congress of the country of mexico
3: would say hey buddy we can't have this stuff go away well, I wonder how much of it was showed beforehand, and how much. I mean, Jamie Mawson, that people might know. There's a couple of documentaries about him actually on on Amazon Prime, which are free. They're probably on Tubi and other other sites as well. But he was a fairly well known journalist who got into UFO investigation, and then he had a very successful show in Mexico about the unexplained which i think had something like 2 million viewers which is pretty significant. So in Mexico he's probably well known. I guess he'd be similar to our George Knapp who of course while okay. not being interviewed at uh, the UFO congressional hearings here a couple months ago was front and center behind the witnesses and was his statement was read into the congressional record. So in many in many ways i suppose he's thought of as a respectable journalist in cool. mexico even though previously he's been at that he's been at front and center of presenting other things which in the past have been have been um totally discredited and i think i've got i think i've got a couple of photos here there was a there was a little creature called um if i can find the thing there was a creature called the here it is the melopec creature yeah. There it is. And apparently it turned out to be some shaved monkey that somebody had taxidermied. Um, He was behind a similar demon fairy thing that had had been presented in the past. I think some other mummified remains as well, like I mentioned previously in Peru. So he has presented previous supposedly examples of dead humanoid, non-human, extraterrestrial, alien life, whatever we want to call it, and it's been blown out of the water in the past. And here he is front and centre at that country's UFO congressional hearing being clearly the the key, the key witness or the key presentation, certainly the one that obviously the press was going to pay the most attention to, because it's also worth mentioning that the Mexican government obviously flew in Ryan Graves, who's the Navy pilot and also the head of Americans for Safe Aerospace, that anybody who's been following the Tic Tac story and the story about the Pentagon having UFO programs here and everything since it broke in 2017 in the New York Times have seen that man interviewed on every new show and, you know, he was rolled out at our congressional hearings as well. So he's a very well-known and what seems to be a reliable witness, at least about UFOs seen in the sky. Yeah. So it's like they brought in, they did bring in experts or witnesses from all around the world, but it was Jamie Mawson, their own, I suppose, UFO star that rolled out the evidence, which everyone's going to focus on talking about this hearing.
2: Well, it was at the point, it was like was the setup, was it was it purposely set up?
3: Do say here's a shiny, pay attention to this. I mean, that's a good point. Was is it just so? I, I think if I was somebody who believed in the extraterrestrial hypothesis, and people who listen to this show regularly know I take the UFO phenomenon very seriously. I spend an awful lot of time academically studying UFO belief, and I think there is a phenomenon at least is some, at, at the heart of some of this. I'm just reluctant to accept the type of nuts and bolts stories which talk about dead alien bodies being recovered because they always end up in some ridiculous dead end or hoax like this, but that's, that's another aside. But I think if I was somebody who believed in the ETH and thought there was a government conspiracy to cover up the recovery of dead extraterrestrials and downed nuts and bolts spacecraft from off-world, I think I would be looking at this and going, "This has got to be some kind of con, just to make everybody who thinks what I think look right. bad, right? Make them look like fools." Yeah, because how how can you present this and be taken seriously? And we know it's all going to fall apart, just like Melson's other presentations of previously, you know, supposed alien bodies. Well, even other Mexicans
2: reported well-known scientists that said this is fake. They said there's nothing to do with it. So here again. I, I asked the question, why wouldn't they do this for it makes no sense unless they want to
3: make the whole idea look stupid no then it makes perfect sense it's I think there's a there isn't a, a part of the audience like I was amazed when I was watching in prep for this show a number of different channels news clips you know where they just have a five minute overview you know fairly crummily put together particularly ones pushed out on ufo channels how many people were looking at this as some kind of legitimate evidence i mean maybe they don't know the history of mawson's other disclosures which haven't ended well maybe they're so eager to have a dead extraterrestrial on their hands that they'll accept anything maybe because it's a government putting seeming to put this forward as evidence at a hearing they're more accepting of it but I I tend to place a lot of this thing, as I always do on on this show and on Mysterious Library. On Mysterious Library this week, we'll be looking at some of the documentaries about Jamie Mawson as well and talking about his involvement in this story and in others. So people should tune in 9 p.m. Central and listen to Jason McLean and I uh, dissect the Mawson story a little bit more. But there's a long history in UFO belief, of course, of aliens or alien artifacts being recovered. So this feeds into a belief system, which already exists. If you look at the history of, of ufology, there have been since well you can say even before the modern period so let's say the modern period starts in 1947 with kenneth arnold's sighting there's reports about the great airship in 1897 which flew over america which when people got interested in ufos and went and looked looked at that flap because charles ford had written about it previously so people went and pulled all the old newspaper stories and they found things like the aurora crash in texas in 1897 where supposedly the airship crashed and a dead non-human pilot was buried in Aurora's graveyard. And there's been attempts over the years to unearth that pilot and everything. The reality is it was probably a tall tale, much like other tall tales that yellow journalism was responsible for in the late 19th century when editors ran ridiculous stories to sell papers, which were you know crazy stories like burying dead airship pilots, right? But then if you come to the modern period, in the 1950s, one of the first – UFO journalists here, or one of the first journalists who became popular with UFO readers here, Frank Scully, wrote a number of articles and then he wrote one of the first Flying Saucer books which introduced what was called the Aztec New Mexico UFO crash. So while in 1947 there was that story about the, the – army airfield in Roswell, capturing a down flying saucer. That was dismissed the next day. And the UFO community didn't take it seriously at all. Certainly in 1947, nobody was talking about alien bodies being discovered at Roswell. That didn't become well known until the late 70s and the 80s in ufology. Everybody ignored that story for over 30 years but the the aztec crash which frank scully popularized talked about a crash in 1948 in aztec new mexico where alien bodies were recovered and that became part of ufo, UFO mythology even though it was dismissed and it turned out the two guys who told scully the story were con men the idea of alien sources and alien bodies being recovered became part of UFO law in the United States of America, the idea that there were bodies at Wright-Patterson airfield in a secret hangar, hangar 18 that people had seen. And then later on, when Roswell was repopularized in the 1980s, people came out with their own supposed remembrances of people telling them about seeing bodies at at uh, at Roswell. For example, Glenn Dennis, the mortician, who's one of the most famous witnesses of the Roswell event, supposedly talked to a nurse who told him that she'd seen these bodies autopsied and drew him a sketch. And then later Dennis paid an artist that he told him, do a good job, this will make us a lot of money, when Roswell was repopularized in the 90s to draw a sketch of the bodies. Now, the name of the nurse changed in the tellings of Glenn Dennis's story. I met Dennis as well before he died. I like Glenn Dennis, I interviewed him, but certainly even a lot of people in ufology began to doubt the Glenn Dennis nurse story. And that's where we get an awful lot of the body mythology of Roswell, which just seemed to build on earlier stories for example, the Aztec crash. So I'm not sure if this is something you've butted into when you've, I know you've written um, extensively about UFOs in a number of places, particularly your UFO cults, watch the skies book. So what's your kind of take on the whole, rather than me just ranting about this all day, Uh what's your whole take on the recovered aliens? My whole take is this. We know that since
2: 1947, the government has lied. The government has lied to us repeatedly. And again, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, why would they lie? Why would they lie to the greed that they have? Why spend all the money that they've spent? Or someone spent a lot of money, it may not be the government, but someone spent a lot of money, and a lot of time to basically make UFO people look nuts. And sometimes they don't need a lot of help to do it, and sometimes they do. And sometimes they go out of the way to make some of the nicest people in the world sound absolutely batshit crazy. And there's no reason why that makes any sense to me, but they're doing it for a reason.
3: Yeah, I like your take on it because we have a slightly, we have a slightly different approach. Are there things that you've, are there reports you've heard, or are there things that you've seen which make you sympathetic to the idea of, um, of there being a particular artifact or a particular case which might make you make you lean more towards? Is there a story out there you particularly like about? It's the only this type thing of stuff? I
2: think might have happened, in my opinion, I do not think they recovered any bodies. I don't think they recovered any material. I don't think either one has happened. I don't think they shot anything down. I don't think that's happened either. I do think there's evidence, photographs, video, witnesses that more than we know about, that might make sense. And again, they're hiding it for a reason. What might that reason be?
3: Well, that's because, interesting. Yeah. Em- Emily Men's house from What the Frick Live. I've been on her show and she's been on Talking Weird. Thanks so much for listening, Emily. She says something similar to what you just did. They did it for a distraction. The CIA, FBI governments always use aliens and UFOs to distract us from what is really going on in the world. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean anything is interesting how they use circus tricks, right? Beat he by them.
2: You know, let's do something crazy. Let's do something weird. Let's entertain the
3: masses. Let's give them bread and circuses. I think there's probably been an awful lot of that with the uh, repopularization of UFOs since 2017 when the New York Times broke that story. I've all I've long suspected that there's an intentional release. Now, I'm not sure if it is just for a distraction. I'm not sure if maybe it's to prepare us for not real disclosure, but to point us in a certain direction, put to point our beliefs in a certain direction, to engineer perhaps some social expectations, the way Jacques Vallée suggested the UFO phenomenon might be used. And of course, Jacques Vallée used to talk much the way that I'm talking now, but Vallée himself wrote a book not that long ago called Trinity, The Best Kept Secret, which was about another supposed UFO crash in 1945 where alien bodies and debris were also recovered. So even Jacques Vallée, who had long been skeptical of these tales of recovered sources and recovered little green or little gray men or whatever color they might be, depending on the decade... He himself now subscribes to the idea that the U.S. government has metamaterials and biological life, just like we're hearing from, from Grush the whistleblower these days. Well, how many, how hard is
2: it for the government to keep that a secret? With all the people that have to suppress, all the keep, people that have to keep silent, how hard is that to do? And you know, we're not talking one or two people have to keep quiet. We're talking by now
3: hundreds. How do you keep them silent? You can't kill them because that raises suspicions. I mean, there's certainly talk, of course, about some people being killed for this knowledge. Yeah. We did, um, we I shouldn't, I shouldn't shackle because it's it's actually tragic. But we did uh, a documentary called "The Underground" on Mysterious Library. We looked at one, and that talks about a UFO researcher who was doing the circuit in the 1990s, popularizing the idea of an extraterrestrial base under the Dulcie Mesa, and he died in rather strange and unfortunate circumstances. There's other cases of other people who've talked about these type of things, Jim Keith, but Jim Keith talked about all kinds of weirdness as well, dying mysteriously after a rather minor accident at Burning Man. And the tales go on and on. William Cooper, of course, actually died in a gun battle, but he had all kinds of other conspiratorial ideas and other things that he was involved in. So there is a history sometimes of perhaps these people being knocked off and i'm Uh, playing devil's advocate now like no no no
2: no. i think you're right i think that i in my opinion again my opinion only i'm I'm not in that case here in wisconsin it's like you sir you know something's going on it doesn't when you have a government that's not suspected of of suppressed information because that's against what they want us to believe where does that end if you can't trust the
3: government to tell you the truth what's in do you believe I think that, yeah, that's, that's part of it too. I think there's a general, well, it it, it goes both ways because I think people are prepared to accept a lot of these type of stories because there's been cracks in the political consensus since the 1960s in America. Today, we really see them. there's almost no political consensus anymore. But from about the time of the Kennedy assassination and through the Vietnam era onwards, up to Watergate, there began to be a shattering of any sense that you could trust the trust your government and america was based on the idea that the government was of and by and for the people but when you from kennedy onwards there seems to be doubt in that and i would suggest oh, that, you don't have to you can go further back and kennedy. oh yeah you, you mean, could I, you could go to not, I, I agree i was actually just quick and then, and then i'll stop and let you talk but i think in 1947 when the national security act is first signed i don't know if americans were conscious of it then but it closed a lot of what used to be an open society and you can probably go even further back. So, yeah, ha- t- tell me what you were going to say before I cut you off. Sorry. We can go back to the 30s,
2: the 40s, when we had Mussolini had the mafia kill a um, a reporter who was writing or anti-Italian fascist stories. We have in the 50s, we had people kidnapped off the streets and sent to the Dominican Republic because they're writing negative stories about the then dictator to be t- tortured horribly. I mean, we can go back throughout time. The idea is now that you said yourself, sir, that people asking questions, we now have the ability to communicate quickly and rapidly, that can't be stopped. The problem is, you remember Jan Kuehl writes about this, I believe, and he says that one guy would write a book about Atlantis, and then for whatever reason, someone else would write a book about Atlantis, use the first guy's book, then someone else down the line will then look at those two books and come up with his own thing, and soon it gets my favorite word batshit crazy. Where does it start? How can that be directed? Can you, in fact, I'm sorry, I'm talking too fast. I apologize. No, that's good, man. Can you, in fact, create a mythos where you encourage people to take a point of view? You know, you build on that mythos until you create something that you can think you can control until it blows up in your face, such as paper mache dummies. Yeah, I, th-
3: I think. I think your what you're talking about keel is particularly relevant to us talking about this growing mythology of dead alien bodies because the stories build on each other and each other and each other. So eventually what happens is people look back at the Aurora crash and the Aztec story and all of this is somehow proof of things that happened later. Oh, we've had aliens before. So, but they're not conscious that they're just feeding into a growing mythology. Instead, those things are cited as some type of historical proof when all, to me, it indicates is a type of legend cycle being kicked off and continuing to roll. It's not like anybody ever dug up that alien at Aurora, and it's not like Aztec proved out to be true. I mean, it was pretty much dismissed as a hoax literally, you know, over half a century ago. But this stuff is still picked up by believers as footnotes to add to the story. And I think there's, there's something... I oh, know you go. I'm sorry. I, no, I couldn't. Okay. No, okay. oh, no, no. no, I was just gonna say I think there's something terribly attractive when it comes to alien bodies about the idea of having that level of physical proof. I remember another. Um, very popular relic in the UFO community back in the 90s, and that was the Starchild skull that Lloyd Pye would take around and show at UFO conventions. I met Lloyd Pye. I spent some time with him at a conference in Clearwater when I was doing my PhD research. He was a very nice man. I got on with him very well, and he was certain that this – Skull, which had been discovered, I think, in some cave somewhere. And I, don't know, I can't even remember if it was in America or if it was in if it was in the U.S. or it was in Central America, but it was some native burial site. And there was the, the supposedly the body of a normal woman discovered or the bones of a normal woman, along with this misshapen kind of child skull. And his suggestion, and, of course, the popular one in the UFO community, was that this was literally a star child, in other words, an alien or an alien hybrid. And of course, I don't know if it's ever been totally dismissed, but certainly I heard everything from, you know, people suggesting it was just some kind of deformity to some example of cradle boarding, because we know there were tribes in that time who used to do things to misshapen infants' heads, or it was a child who had some, you know, serious, you know, had both maybe, was was already mis malformed when it was born and then it was it's deformities were added to at any case the desire for that star child skull to prove what everybody was talking about ets and et hybrids was very strong in the community and incidentally i think that star child skull probably was just some poor deformed child's remains but that was a heck of a lot more convincing When you looked at it and held it, well, I held a replica in my hand. Lloyd didn't travel with the original, but he traveled with a really, you know, pretty stunning replica of it. That was far more convincing of something weird than these strange paper mache looking alien mummies, which just got rolled out at at the Mexican, you know, UFO congressional hearing.
2: I mean, it would be interesting to see where this takes us. I mean, will someone else come up with a piece of metal that's from a spaceship or they claim it's a spaceship? You know won't, we won't know until it happens that something more will come up without a doubt because the mythology must be continued. I mean, even if it's even if it's spread in circuses, the myth has to be built upon.
3: Yeah Emily made another good point. she said they give us what the CIA calls limited hangout, some very little truth followed up with lies, but enough truth to keep yeah. us hanging on. I think all disinformation requires some level. Of truth to it. And I suspect that there probably have been secret projects. There probably still are secret projects, which uh, it's very convenient to hide with stories of extraterrestrials and alien technology. In fact, we know that the CIA in the 19, I think the 50s into the 60s, were very happy to spin the UFO story as a cover for things like test flights of U S planes, because if somebody sees something weird, it's better. They come out and say, it's a flying saucer to the press. And they saw, you know, Than the U two or something before it's been disclosed. So I think I think that's I think that isn't doesn't even have to go down a sinister conspiratorial path to think. Well, it makes sense to use some of this stuff as spin. And I wonder with the tic tac videos and these type of UFOs, Uh if this isn't just some advanced US technology. So they roll out a a navy pilot who obviously isn't going to be read into what's being tested by Skunk Works or Dreamland or wherever the devil this stuff's tested. This next generation or you know. Third forward generation technology, which we're not going to see for, for decades and decades, if ever. And then they say, well, we I've never seen anything like that. And so all the your average member of the American public goes, well, this Navy pilot would know if we had it or not, because they always ask those Navy pilots, is this like anything you've ever seen? doesn't matter who it is, it's CNN it was Tucker Carlson, whoever's interviewing them. It's just like anything you've ever seen before. No, this is nothing like we've got. You know, this is decades ahead of what we've got, but we've, we're already testing things which are decades ahead of what we have. That's the That's reality. We we've done
2: it before. We look at, look at um, well, it's not quite UFOs, but it's technology that we supposedly didn't have, but it seems that we do, is remote viewing. You know, there's something to remote viewing. We know that now. They spent a lot of money and a lot of resources experimenting with remote viewing. There's something to it. What? Nobody really knows. At least I don't. But I'm sure they're still doing it. Same thing with the falls. Is there use those ideas that a mythology has been built on to manipulate our thoughts, to do whatever they want to do with it?
3: Well, I think in a way it's already been so influential on just the way we view All kinds of things. UFO belief, even if you're not an average UFO believer, impacts almost everybody today. It's become such a part of our culture, the idea that there are spacefaring civilizations and we've probably been visited or will be visited or are visited, or if you see a strange light in the sky, it mightn't be ours. I I think it's gone beyond just a very small believer subset, which it might have been originally back in the very early days, to so culturally prominent now. That ideas that once were just, you know, in the domain of science fiction magazines and and UFO authors has have, has now entered the popular consciousness more than ever, particularly with the New York Times story in twenty seventeen going forward, because. Then you got the mainstream media taking this seriously in America for the first time since literally probably 1969, when the Condon Committee said the UFO, uh, the University of Colorado's UFO study, which was hired by the Air Force to determine once and for all that the U.S. government should be investigating this. When the when the the Condon Committee said there's nothing here in 69, pretty much going forward, there it wasn't that there was never any paranormal shows about ufos on tv or that it, there was never a story about a ufo sighting but it was never taken so seriously by the mainstream media that it would be an ongoing story that kept popping up on everything from fox news to cnn to you know to the new york times Which but it's true. re-entered the popular consciousness so i think now almost everybody is on board this idea yeah. that we're being visited. well remember the tv show um, the invaders the invade well, yeah, was it The Invaders? Yeah, where there was the architect trying to stop the yeah. plan, right? right? Right, right, I mean, that it's was kind of a silly laughy, ha,
2: ha, ha. Left laugh is a funny TV show. It's kind of cool science fiction. Then we had UFO, which was a show from England. And now we have The X-Files, and we have Fringe, right? No, it took one to go to the other one, because the X-Files would never have lasted in the fifth. It never would have happened, right? But We had that. You have that build on the same idea of building on mythology. The mythology has to be bu- built on, ooh, in order to do the TV shows. Now, my question is this. where it was <clears throat> advertising agencies hired to come up with a long-term idea for a myth to build on to the public consciousness and build TV shows
3: on top of that to drive it? Well, I think I think the X-Files, and it's a wonderful show. I mean, it's probably one of my favorite TV shows of all time just because it's such an
0: What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky.
1: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we Prohibited by Law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus
3: entertaining show. Yeah. And because Duchovny and Anderson have great chemistry and it's written well and it's clever and yada, yada, yada. But I think that introduced so many of these concepts, which were yeah. even more kooky and out there into the broad popular consciousness. Like, I actually. Anybody who listens regularly here will often hear me refer to modern UFO belief as X Files UFO belief because everybody knows what that means. It means government cover ups and, yeah. you know, alien abductions and secret underground bases. And that isn't what UFO believers always necessarily thought the phenomenon was like. When people were writing about, Government cover ups, the way Donald Kehoe was, the head of NICAP, the ex Marine Major in the 1950s through the 60s. When he was writing his books about an Air Force cover up, it was always kind of, you know nine it was just it just was kind of he he thought well i know they're keeping the secrets for national security but they should tell us some of the stuff it was never the idea that there was some kind of ongoing conspiracy between aliens and the u.s government that let the aliens abduct people and that they were you know doing reverse engineering of saucer technology in area 51 it was a very different idea and speaking of abduction, right? Why are they abducting Americans, Europeans, when there's
2: all kinds of people in South America, all kinds of people in Africa that can abduct all day and all night that nobody ever misses? No, but let's 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 abduct these two people driving on the street and keep them and torture them, do other things for them, right? So they go on TV and talk about it.
3: Well, yeah, See, I think you're suggesting what's called the—is it the the Milab theory that there's, there's military abductions, or there's actually intelligence agencies doing these abductions? Is that what you might be suggesting? Or? No, I'm suggesting that if the UFO people were actually here
2: abducting people, why would they abduct people who would have the ability, to, if they looked, that they lived, right, would go to the media, go to the police, and cause that stir when they could abduct somebody from Africa? That nobody ever missed. So, if they did get away somehow,
3: who are they going to tell? Well, I think the growth in alien abduction alone or the way it grew is interesting that it becomes, at least in its presentation, very almost homogenized. So, all the aliens are great extraterrestrials. There's an expectation about what they do when they abduct you. There's, you know, these limited windows of missing time, there's the idea that it's generational. These ideas didn't belong in the UFO literature well until into the 70s. I mean, you didn't have the first abduction seriously talked about was Villa Boas, which is, I think, Brazil abduction, which happened even prior to the Betty and Barney Hill. And that started getting introduced into some of the more serious UFO literature, probably in the 60s. And then the Betty and Barney Hill story, which was covered originally in the book, The Interrupted Journey, started to introduce aspects of what became the gray extraterrestrial abduction kind of version, but it wasn't exactly the same. It took a while to build that mythology, like stories, as you were talking before, like the kill thing, stories had to build on stories, had to build on stories and researchers had to channel the stories to fit this narrative. And different researchers channeled them different ways. So you had people like John Mack from Harvard, where his abductees were having more pleasant experiences, which seemed to be sometimes spiritually enlightening. And then you had people like David Jacobs and Bud Hopkins, and the people that they were working with, their abductions seemed to be nastier and to suggest some kind of plan of planetary conquest through their their breeding program with humans. So it's interesting to see the cultural forces yeah. and individuals who shaped what people and believed. If today. I'm not mistaken, didn't, didn't the Hills first describe the aliens not as Greys but as Nazis? Yeah, you, you're, ab- you're absolutely right. There's um, there's a number of in the Interrupted Journey when they're actually when the author is presenting the, hypno- the the actual hypnosis sessions by, I think Benjamin Simon was the psychiatrist who abducted them. And he incidentally didn't think they'd had an experience that they were abducted by aliens. He thought it was some more complex psychological experience. But they describe them in different ways as they're kind of remembering and trying to put together this story. So Barney describes them as redheaded Irishmen at one point Points at another point, he describes them as Nazis, they're wearing new Nazi uniforms. I think. I I often get it wrong. I think Betty Hill describes them as having big noses like Jimmy Durante at one stage. At another stage, she she suggests they look like the Mongoloid children because apparently she was a social worker. and I don't even know if Mongoloid's a politically correct term anymore, but I think that's the term she used. So she looked like disadvantaged or, you know, um, children that she'd worked with who had that kind of, you know, disability. So it's interesting that these these different kinds, it's almost like a dream state. They're capturing these different ideas. And then eventually you get something. If you look at the Interrupted Journey TV movie, you start to see these things which are beginning to look like the grey extraterrestrials. In fact, I think they have they have biggish eye holes. And I think that yes. might have had something to do with the later idea of them having big eyes because I think for the actors, they probably <laughs> needed bigger eye holes for them to see out of the masks. So that's just a theory I threw out there. But... Um, Martin Kottmire has done an excellent work on how the idea of the aliens being gray kind of developed, and it's a complicated kind of process and it's not, it, it's very easy as I often have just to be, you know, to quickly do a rundown of it, but people who want to look into the developments of why we see aliens the way we do today. It didn't just happen overnight. There's a very, you can trace this cultural and social development. If you look at the UFO reports from the 1940s through to the 60s, the type of creatures people were encountering, they were all different shapes and sizes. They weren't this homogenous little gray ET, which has been popularized in modern culture and in abduction law. There was all kinds of things. I wonder if you had the contract back in the day
2: to create a mythos. And that contract's
3: kind of been followed ever since. See, that's why you—that's why where you go further down the rabbit hole. I mean, there, there's certainly people who who I think suggest that. Again, like I said, I think there's—I think this story can be used to benefit people. Rick Doty, who was behind or part of the the psyop performed on Paul Benowitz, which is a long story too far to go into. He says that, or has said, including on Talking Weird, but I think he said it when he was interviewed by Stephen Greer as well that that he knows of Air Force programs which faked alien abductions by actually having people that had deformities and things, and I guess they were helped more with additional prosthetics or something, I can't even remember now, go in and abduct people. not to, But he said it wasn't to convince these people of alien abductions. It was because you might be able to put the frighteners on somebody or get more information out of them if they thought it was ETs coming to them in the middle of the night than if it was just, I don't know, a couple of government agents coming. Well, it'd be, it would be fascinating because we know that the, we know that the CIA
2: was, was, did many things such as MKUltra to try to control people's minds, right? Wouldn't it be cool if they could control people's thoughts and, using mythology to create a universe where – E.T. wanted you to do something, when you to act to want something, when you to believe something. And how much greater would it be if it wasn't the government that wanted you to do this or that other thing, but E.T. wanted you to be a better person?
3: Well, well, in a way, that becomes almost the same way that religion has been used to... Um, to direct social norms for good and for bad, you know, throughout history. I think there are are clear examples of when somebody thinks there's a higher moral code just above themselves that they behave better than they might if they think it's an entire free-for-all. But there are certainly also examples where religion has been used to control people to be subservient to authoritarian regimes. Mm -hmm. And so perhaps you're right, perhaps the development of of extraterrestrial belief can be manipulated or might one day be used.
2: Yeah, I'd be interested to do a Federal Information something. Act request on that subject.
3: Yeah, I, I wonder won- what you find out. I wonder. I wonder how you, I think it would probably be a question of how you would phrase it as well. Like it's a complicated one to phrase, and in, in it would be, but we
2: interested in experiment. I mean, as you well know, I, I like going down those rabbit holes. I interesting mean, to see, it's only what, it's a lot of takes, takes a couple. You think about it for a while. You rewrite it a couple of times and see what happens. I mean, the guy that does um, the website, the Black Vault, does that kind of, all kinds of rich information and all kinds of fascinating subjects by asking for Freedom Information Act requests. And they I think, it's worthwhile at the
3: time. I do. Maybe send him a message because he probably knows how to word those requests to get the type of information that he's looking for. I've heard, and I, I've never tried to do a freedom of information act request myself, but I've heard it's very dependent upon what you put within your terminology and your request parameters as far as the success. The problem, we we
2: did back. one for my book and Frank, the mafia guy in Milwaukee. It was pretty easy. What information do you, you know, then, what did you have the FBI had? We got his case file, you know, and he was dead. So it was not a problem. Um, because they don't know who cares about Frank. I and mean, the same thing about Jimmy Hoffa. You get a lot of blank pieces of paper. You
3: know. Nancy so, Malcolm has a question. I, I think it's for you, Wayne. Why are the popular theories? Why are the popular theories now the ones that throw cryptids, ETs, ghosts, ancient gods, etc., all into a collective group out to kill or enslave humans? What advantage does this theory present? Fear. Any fear. 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 of the
2: known. Mind you. Mind you. If I was walking on my street or, and uh, walking down my yard with my dogs and I saw something with 15 arms show up, the government would have not tell me to be scared. I'd be pretty scared to begin with, right? Um, somebody else show up here, me, uh, wearing a dark suit, wearing a nice, nice tie, and said, God, they need to get a drink of water because they need, need, need a pill to take. I'd be cautious because I need be John Keel too, Right. I've heard bump beeps and, and buzzes my phone, I'd be careful too because, again, i regen read John too, right? But they want me, in my opinion, I think the government wants us to be scared.
3: The government needs fear, in my opinion. Yeah, Nancy agreed with you. She said, Wayne, I agree, fear and confusion. It's interesting. I don't agree with all of what Stephen Gree has to say. I agree with his suggestion that, we have an awful lot of this technology and we developed a lot of it and we kind of pretend it's ET, but Greer goes to the next level to say there really are ETs out there. And he suggests something similar in that much of the type of stories that Nancy was talking about, which is spun around evil ETs and other things is to create this state of fear. So, they can one day come out and say, well, we have to have a war with the space people to justify their black budgets and to justify yeah. everything that they've done. And I don't know if I agree with that final partner theory, but maybe you don't even need the re- the aliens to be real to justify the budgets eventually. If you if you have oh, enough yeah. people thinking the aliens are real, then that alone might say, well, this is why we have to keep our technology secret from you. This is right, why we have we to spend so much you, money on Space and Force. And we
2: can't tell you about these things. It's interesting too that... When I read about what we can do with the Voyager spacecraft, right, that we launched years ago, you know, billions of miles away, and we communicate with it with a modem at 256 baud rate, right? What can we do now? It's incredible what we can do now, and that gets me excited. It gets me to want to work together with the people, do the science that makes these things possible. So get me in, on board in these things, ideas that make us a stronger as a country to do things together
3: versus we have to be scared. Well, I think, yeah, as we were talking about earlier, I think we live in a time where there is particular division and I'm not sure if, I'm not sure. Maybe the belief in evil a- ETs would bring everybody together. That's what Reagan used to talk about. Remember, he, won a number of speeches, said that maybe we'd forget all our differences on this planet if all of a sudden we were presented with an extraterrestrial threat. And that's been a darling of science fiction as well. I think it was presented in an Outer Limits episode. The original Watchmen comic book had that idea. It's appeared a number of times. So maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it could be used. The social controllers, if they are out there, think they can use it in a way to bring us together one day. Who knows? Emily has a question for you, Wayne. I don't know if you know what Project Bluebeam is, but she says, does he believe that this has to do with Project Bluebeam?
2: I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with Project Bluebeam. Bluebeam. Bluebeam.
3: Bluebeam. Bluebeam. Oh, whatever. Sorry. <laughs> That's a good man. And I think there's – Oh, is this a – no, this is just a comment from somebody – Somebody else, a WEF, wants division. Well, I think a lot, I think a lot of people benefit from division. I think if you I don't want to go down a conspiratorial uh, kind of rabbit hole, but I think if if you have people obviously who are more concerned about certain cultural and social issues. They might ignore who actually, you know, the big boss men are who are controlling the planet and controlling the finances and doing everything else. I think, if, and I think potentially the UFO thing could be similarly used. I think if you have people focused on a threat or something that mightn't even exist, then perhaps they mightn't look where the threat really is. So this could be used in so many ways. I don't have a firm theory of how these type of things are actually designed to be used or how they are used, whether they're designed to be used or not. But I'm fairly confident that it's been plenty of times intelligence agencies and think tanks have, you know, kind of role played or, you know, gamed out how they can use the ET invasion scenarios or the belief in ETs to, you know, get certain things done. Do you, have you remember remembered the, the movie called The Colossus Project? No, tell me about it.
2: I don't know if I've ever it's seen it. It's called a giant supercomputer that was designed to run everything. And what it did was as soon as it got control of everything, it, it took control, right? And then, of course, uh, that was the first, uh, first book. And the second book was people figured a way to, to beat the computer. And the, the reason what then in the second book we discovered was why the computer took over the world was to protect us from the aliens. And so the third book was getting a computer back online. So we're going to protect us from the aliens, right? Huh. So the idea here is, is that this is maybe the government does know there's a threat coming and they had to figure out a way to make us believe there's a threat. You know, but then again, if we don't trust
3: the government, tell us the truth. Well, that's I think that's the dilemma for the UFO community. The dilemma that I see for the UFO community that is very rarely recognized by believers in traditional extraterrestrial hypothesis, nuts and bolts, UFO belief, is that if you haven't trusted the government ever since the modern UFO era started, post-World War II... If you think they've been lying to you and hiding things from you and doing all kinds of everything from weird, you know, evil alliances with various ET groups on down? If you believe all of this, that means obviously you don't trust the government, right? Why will you all of a sudden trust the government if they deliver disclosure to you? Is it just because they tell you finally what you want to believe? That's a weird place to be in. You know what I mean? That you want disclosure, you want the government to tell you so much that what you believe is true, but for the last you know eighty years, you haven't believed a word they've said as a community. So, I, yeah, it's to me that's a it's a dilemma which isn't really easily solvable. And I think to Not be horrible. honest, it's ignored by the UFO community. Because they keep wanting disclosure, I, I, right? They keep wanting the government to tell them that we've got the sources, we've got the little green man, we've been involved in it all along, we've known about Roswell, da-da-da-da-da. But your whole belief system is based on the premise that the government has been lying to you about this stuff forever. I mean, we get people
2: who still don't believe the on, on, on the moon. You know, they think that movie, uh, that movie uh, that mo- director, Colbrook, Right did it on the sun stage, even though that's totally natural. We actually did land on the moon, that we had people, visible people that believe we did not land on the moon.
3: You know, we got, and, and they'll never be convinced we did land on the moon. Well, again, that's part of that kind of cultural crisis I was talking about before where, you have, and you see again, I think it was the Condon Committee which really kicked it off in, or kind of accelerated it for ufology. People didn't already trust the government when there was finally a supposedly non-biased academic program, say there's nothing here, the government are right, you don't have to look at it. I think the UFO community then started to spiral more into abduction tales, more into conspiratorial tales, and the other aspect of ufology, which we've talked about, John Keel and Jacques Vallée, and there were various people like that, Brad. Steiger, etc., went off in another direction where they started to look at non-ET alternatives, more occult alternatives. It's interesting that Jacques Vallée wrote his groundbreaking book, Passport to Magonia, in many ways in response to the Condon Committee, where he started to think that UFOs had more to do with fairy faith and with occult traditions because he thought science had failed him because the Conan Committee had failed in many ways ufology. So at that stage the government have failed you if you're a UFO believer. Science has failed you as if you're a UFO believer. So what are your alternatives? You just have to go into various either esoteric occultic rabbit holes and throw science overboard altogether, or you have to presume that there's a, a massive conspiracy by people in power from scientific institutions throughout the intelligence organizations of the American government who are keeping the truth from you. Yeah. So the the consensus cracks, you don't trust the system anymore and then anything can develop in that kind of environment. Which is a problem because we need to be able to trust the government. We need to be able to tell when the government says
2: something, we have to be able to degree believe them. And we can't please the government, then they lose the ability to, you know, rule um,
3: with the will of the people. What do you expect, Wayne? Because I know you've been researching this stuff for ages. What do you? We've just seen this. The, we saw the the U.S. congressional hearing two months ago, which had all kinds of you know kind of claims and innuendos by the whistleblower there, David Grush, and he did other interviews talking about. Countries all around the world having down sources and, you know, the, the bodies of non-human entities. We have now the the Mexican government kind hmm. of following that direction and their star witness, Jamie Morrison, rolling out these, to me, something that looked like paper mache and poorly done paper mache extraterrestrials. Yes. And do you think there's going to be more of these kind of weird revelations or what do you, or do you think? I think we'll see
2: a wide variety of revelations. I think we'll see both people coming out saying I'm a good scientist be, and have good documentation in nut cases. And I think the nut cases will get the, more of the media attention because it's easier to get the focus for the media on the that case. There is to say some scientists that goes, I've done this research. I've done this, this other thing. This is what I've come up with, you know, versus some guy saying, well, my uncle Henry was actually a reptile from space. And, you know, this is what he told me. And here's my spaceship that nobody can see other than me. You know, I mean, that's the easiest thing to do. I mean, that goes on all the time. I mean, I spend a lot of time on my Twitter account, which is Doctor on Twitter, and I listen to people, Good, honestly, people try to do the best job they know how, and they talk like they're batshit crazy. But But they're doing it out of the goodness of the heart. They're doing it because they believe. They're not trying to hurt anybody. They're trying to have conversations with people to try to get themselves more involved, try to get themselves moving ahead further and what might be going on so they can share what they know with other people and maybe share back and forth information. Absolutely support that
3: 100,000%. I think one of the dangers is too with people who are presenting UFO information is it's not always information. It's almost like infotainment. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's what is the clickbait? What's the story that someone's going to want to read about? What And we see this, I think, even on people who are, you know, posting on social because it's, you know, more interesting. But we certainly see it on paranormal-type TV shows. And we're starting to even see it the way that the most sensational aspects of the Mexican UFO congressional hearings, obviously, what are you going to focus on if you're the press there? Weirdly. Right little mummified or more to the point paper mache alien dummies because it looks it's going to get people clicking on it and wanting to see what's this there's a dead alien that's more in i mean so in a way the the space lends itself to infotainment you know because people people are interested in ufos even if they no matter how high-minded or high-browed they want to pretend they are it's interesting because it's weird it's strange it's not it's not the same as being entertained in. i don't know the latest developments in i don't know some scientific or academic you know study of the development of language or something like that uh, that uh, might really be in, I- information but this is crazy fun there's weird little dead alien bodies and people saying mussolini captured a flying saucer and all these stories i mean it's 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 infotainment and it in- might the- even be info it might be misinfotainment or disinfotainment
2: i think if we had a lecture between spacex talking about the, their are plans to go to the moon and more of this information to infotainment as you call it I think that the latter would get more views, even though SpaceX, to me, is more exciting. It's more something's going to happen. It's more relevant to American society and the world society as a whole. But, God, look at these crazy
3: people in Mexico and these paper mache dolls. We get the views. And, I mean, I'll be honest. I'm, to a degree, guilty of it myself. I want to talk about things on this show, on Mysterious Library, which are entertaining. There are probably aspects... If you really wanted to dig into it, which might be more academically or scientifically focused if you were talking about the weird, but it's not as interesting as talking about paper mache alien dummies presented to the UFO Congress in Mexico or, you know, the Congress on on the congressional study on UFOs in Mexico or whatever the thing's called. Nancy Malcolm says science versus superstition same old story people believe things they've experienced or someone they know have experienced logic makes no difference and that's probably a part of it as well we're experiential creatures if we have a weird something weird happens to us or our friend tells us something weird happened to them yeah we do pay attention like life so where can where can people get a like a hold of you or see what you're up to anyway mate oh. right?
2: All my books on Twitter, on, on Amazon, and Amazon, to include the Occults, I got 14 and 15 more. Everything running from the mafia to crazy stuff in Hollywood, whole nine yards. I'm easily gotten hold of um, by my Twitter, which is, of course, my Twitter would be, of course, Milwaukee Mob 2. Milwaukee Mob 2 on Twitter would find me in Twitter. Um, my email, though, is kind of long. Um, maybe you could put something in the show notes and stuff so people would find me by my email that get a hold of me. Sure. That way I'm pretty easy to get a hold of my email. Well,
3: we've got your Amazon page in the show notes too, so right. people know because your books are available. Is oh, your I film is your film we played at Midwest Weird Fest a few years ago, the Frank Bellastrella one? Is that is on Prime? Is that on Prime? Okay, well people can probably check out that too if they go to Yeah, and you
2: can watch there. it on YouTube for free. Oh, well that's good. Yeah. Absolutely. We have more stuff coming. We, got to, we have a we work in a documentary on the Vegas skim, knock on wood. And we have a couple more books coming out on the Vegas skim itself. Um, Vegas skim is really – that's another huge rabbit hole. They can go down in a hurry, right? Oh, I bet. And even and the whole idea about the is Bluff, which is a situation in Wisconsin, like the whole dog, right? An old guy telling stories and it was life. There's not much more to it than that, but there's so many interesting, fun stories about the mysteries of Wisconsin Rivers, everything from Bogus Bluff on the Wisconsin River to the Azalon Temples. Well, did they really find sea shells as they claimed they have found? And what's going on with
3: all those strange deaths by drowning in lacrosse? We should do a lacrosse show. Talk about the smiley face killer stuff, which we were talking about before the show. Sometime, yeah. when you, especially when you're working on that book, which I think you are, just speaking about the the mafia and skims and to feed it back into what we were talking about tonight before we go. Is there? Do you know if there's is there any odds that you can place at the moment on the revelation of ET life or government disclosure? I'm sure some bookie must run something on it. I'm curious. I expect they do in England because you can bet anything in England.
2: But um, but offhand, I'll give I'll tell you what, I think there's probably a good. 20 to 1 ads for that more information will come out about something real about the aliens. It may have turned out a long run to run to be bogus, but some more information will come out about something without a doubt. Especially depending if we have a bad flu season or right? if we have a bad flu season. Not so much. We won't we talk. Too, we won't. We season. won't talk too much about that. I think it's no, dangerous. But if we have a good, if we have a light flu season, then we we'll see more stuff happening with the aliens.
3: Well, you never know. And also, we have um, we have Risto saying, "Great discussion tonight. Next time, we didn't need to hear some more stories of your old haunted house." So yeah, maybe nice we need to, we need to talk about because you've told me some weird stories about your house. Well, that my my wife's china camera
2: me floating off the air was pretty weird. mean, throwing across the room was kind of scary.
3: Well, that, that's another. That's a story for another show. We've got to do. But man, th- thank you so much. It was such a great joy to have you on. I always love talking to mine. you. It was particularly fun. Day. Thank you. Thank you for the friend's request, Emily. Two thumbs up. Oh, Emily's great. If you don't, if anybody doesn't listen to What the Frick Live out there, they should definitely go and check Emily's show out because it's awesome. And it's one of my favorite shows to guest on. I always have such a great time when I'm there. But until I talk to you again, Wayne, and everybody else out there, keep it weird. Peace out.
1: conditions 18 plus